0: You're listening to The Preaching Podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernak. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We're so honored to have Brother Gary come, and Brother Gary, come on up. Let's give him a Victory Baptist welcome as he comes to preach tonight. And we love you and your family. Glad you're here. Well, it is awesome to be back and uh, appreciate the opportunity to preach. Always so thankful whenever a pastor lets me preach. Uh, But it's just good to be here. I've already had a couple people uh, between this morning and tonight, probably three or four people that in the process of shaking hands and just greeting have said, you know, welcome home. And yeah, this is what what it feels like every time we come back here. And obviously, I mean, it literally is home for Angie. She grew up here, but uh, in all intents and purposes, where everything kind of began for uh, me, you know, I came here and um, in February, and so that's the first time I ever saw Angie. Uh, we started dating in April. Uh, was, I remember I asked her out on April 1st. That way, if it went sour, I could just play it off like an April <laughs> Fool's joke. Um, but we started dating in April and got engaged in June. Got married in October, and so from that point, my life completely changed. And we were here for uh, nine years serving at the church, and so. Uh, all of our kids were born here, and well, not here. We went to Rocky Mountain. We're smart, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but you know th- this area, you know this this area. And so, uh, no, we're uh, so grateful to be back, and so ha- just enjoy the opportunity of being able to talk and catch up with everybody. And so, we've gotten conflicting um, points of view. Pastor said not in a hurry on Sunday nights. Brother Dan said they usually finish at 6:30, so we're already four minutes past. So um, <laughs> he goes to sleep. Goes to sleep. All right, good, good, good. <laughs> So, do half of them. So, uh, but glad to be here and so so excited to be back home. And uh, this church is very special and near and dear to us. I'm so thankful for, uh, as you talk about just the parents, you'll know, give me an opportunity. You know, when we came here, I actually, uh, I think it was 22 years old, had the opportunity to uh, begin as a youth pastor. And I uh, appreciate those parents that were willing to take a gamble with uh, us and with your kids. <laughs> And I'm sure sometimes it felt like just that of the rolling of the dice there. But we had some, had some great times and some awesome memories. Uh, some of you were just extremely brave and uh, gracious, appreciate that. I remember the first, our first camp, You know, we the first camp we went to was uh, in um, Knoxville, Tennessee. And I remember, you know, I'm just gung-ho, zealous, let's do it. I got my bus license in like May and camp was in June. And everybody's looking at me, looking at bus, it's like... No, nah, I don't think I want to do that. So we end up renting vans that first year. Uh, but after that, everybody entrusted me to drive the bus and take their kids all over the place. I and mean, we've been so many uh, places and many of you have come along as chaperones as well. And man, just appreciate all the parents that were along for the ride. And uh, so grateful to be back here. So thankful for Pastor. Um, not telling you anything you don't know, but I mean, he is just the real deal. I love him and uh, Miss Joanna as well. But he's just been a dear friend, you know, ever since we left. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, Lord let us how the path that he has chosen for us and don't always understand the whys and all that on this side. But uh, ever since we left, he's just been a dear friend. Uh, You know, that's not always the case. Heard some horror stories and, you know, maybe experienced some things like that. But uh, he's never one time wavered in his friendship and his faithfulness to me and my family. And so just so grateful for that. He is a true, true friend. And I'm glad to be uh, able to stand in his pulpit tonight and preach. And so if you'll turn to Galatians chapter number five, Galatians chapter five, when he had asked me to preach, and then shortly after asked, asked uh, said Brother Dan was willing to let me do the t- uh, Sunday school class for him, uh, I had immediately had two ideas of what I was going to speak on, and I'm now going to speak on neither one of those. And so it's just like immediately I was like, "Yeah, that's that's, that's what I'm going to preach. I'm going to enjoy preaching that." And didn't do the Sunday school what I thought I was going to do, and neither am I doing tonight what I had planned to do. And so I'm just trusting the Lord, and the Lord's just kind of putting me through some things in the messages He's allowed me to preach today and some things I know I need work on. Uh, But I appreciate the opportunity to be here and preach and spend some time with our family. You know, usually pastors kind of baiting me into some uh, mother-in-law jokes. And, you know, my mother-in-law's here. And so that doesn't always go over too well. And she's already kind of put the the threat out there. Tomorrow uh, for dinner, it's Fried pork chops and gravy. And if you haven't had that, you need a bugger to come over for dinner and have that sometime. It's amazing. And so that, that's what's on the line. And so the mother-in-law jokes could ruin that for me. And so I would never say one about her. This is one I heard somebody else say one time. And, of course, it does not apply to my mother-in-law. But you know, there was one guy, he was having coffee with his mother-in-law one day. And just out of the blue, she said, you know, I've decided to be cremated. So he jumped up and said, okay, I'll get your coat. But, you know, that would never apply to this precious lady over here that is also a great cook. Galatians chapter number 5. We're going to look at just two verses, very familiar verses. Verse number 22. Uh, Well, we'll read a little bit further than that, but begin in verse number 22. It says, "...but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you would use uh, the text tonight to speak to our hearts, but the Holy Spirit would just make application as needed. Lord, the best I know, this is exactly what you'd have me to preach tonight, and I just pray that you would use it. Help us to be obedient to what you'd have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What we have in Galatians chapter 5 is the description of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, You know, much has been said over what the fruit of the Spirit is, and maybe all kinds of ways to describe it and apply it, and so much so in our life. But I I like this. someone said that the fruit of the Spirit is just simply this, it's the life that Jesus lived. You know, if you go through the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, it's the life that Jesus lived. And so, therefore, it's also then the life that every Christian should live, right? As we seek to live a Christ-like life, as we seek to be like the Lord, we too then ought to Uh, live a life that is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Also in Galatians 5, we see there the the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. You can go through a few verses earlier and see the works of the flesh and see what man is capable of. If we go our own way, do our own thing, if we are the boss, the works of the flesh its not a pretty picture. And so the Bible makes that contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So it talks about the Spirit, it's about the fruit of the Spirit. That's that visible expression of the power that's working inwardly and invisibly. Uh, That that power that's working on the inside through the Holy Spirit in our life. And the character of the fruit being evidence of the character of the power that's producing it. Meaning you don't find oranges on apple trees, right? And so the, the character of the fruit is evidence of the character that's producing it on the inside. When you live by the Spirit, your life will then produce the fruit. Of the Spirit. Notice that uh, we sometimes misread that or misquote that. It's not the fruits plural of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, it's, it's singular. If you are walking in the Spirit, if you are filled with the Spirit, your life will be characterized by these nine different characteristics one fruit, nine different characteristics. Meaning that you can't go to some spiritual fruit market and kind of pick and choose and say, you know, I'll take some of that love and joy and peace, uh, but I'm going to pass on that long suffering. You know, you know, give me some of that faith, but you can keep the temperance or the gentleness or what have you. You don't get to pick and choose. It's one fruit of the Spirit. And this fruit is a result of being filled with the Spirit of God, which, by the way, is a command of God for every believer. Right? We, we pray and we, we hope that, you know, the, the preacher, we hope that the pastor, we hope that the staff, that they're filled with the Spirit. Right? We want somebody to be spirit filled and spirit anointed when they stand and preach the Bible. But the command to be filled with the Spirit, well, that's a command for every Christian. Every Christian that is saved has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, and God's command for you and for you and for you and for me is all the same. We are all commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And So this is a command of God. When you get saved, the Spirit of God indwells you. You get all of the Holy Spirit at salvation that you'll ever need. You'll never get any more of the Holy Spirit. You'll never need any more of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. The filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. Right When you're saved, you belong to the body of Christ. You are His. But in order to be filled with the Spirit of God, it means that you are daily yielding and surrendering yourself to Him, that your body belongs to Him. You are giving up control. You are surrendering and yielding to His power, to His control in your life. Now, obviously, you can imagine, especially in the world that we live in today, when you do that, When you're filled with the Spirit, your life, it's going to be different. There's going to be a lot of things outwardly, visibly, uh, audibly, the things that people, when they're around you, they notice some differences. Now, we know that some preachers and some churches have gotten themselves in a mess because they've tried to make a man-made list of what different means, and they've tried to orchestrate what what you have to do to live differently uh, from the world. You don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit inside of you will make it very clear what you should and shouldn't do. And if you are living a life that's controlled and filled with the Spirit, your life's just going to be different. And we need to remember then that God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. And so the Holy Spirit will make sure that you're producing fruit in your life. We don't need a man-made list to tell us the do's and don'ts. Now, we come to the fruit of the Spirit, though. How many of you understand that some fruit doesn't look very desirable? I mean, anybody in here tonight heard of a fruit called durian? Anybody ever heard of that before? A couple people. Anybody had it? Anybody ate it before? Oh, my, a couple, yeah. I, I really only expected Brother Curry to be like, yep, I've done that. That <laughs> I was, I was really my only expectation. But got one over here that actually, a couple of you that heard of it. I actually got a couple pictures, if you want, uh, two exactly of the fruit. This is what it looks like. doesn't exactly look very appealing, it's, it's a fruit. Uh, it's, we had a couple of girls in our youth department, Amanda and Allison Chow, they're from Vietnam, and they brought it in one time, and you could smell it through the bag. This, this stuff is awful. Uh, it is known as the, the stinkiest fruit in the world. Like, it is, it is horrible. It's actually literally banned in some countries to have out in public. Instead of this, of durian, its odor is best described as turpentine and onions garnished with a gym sock. It can be smelled from yards away. The Smithsonian Magazine said it this way, to eat it seems to be a sacrifice of self-respect. <laughs> French naturalist Henry Mohat was a little bit less delicate even when he said, on first tasting it, I thought it like the flesh of some animal in a state of putrefaction, of decay. All right? We've got a couple other pictures here. This is some signs. I believe it was in um, uh, Singapore where it's banned. Like if you take it out in public, uh, yeah, it's it's right there. No durians. You cannot have me. It's like right there. No smoking on the bus, no durians on the bus. (laughs) Another one here, a headline where a plane was actually grounded due to somebody opening and eating this on a plane. They grounded the plane immediately. Like somebody opened it. It's like, okay, we got to get this plane on the ground. We got to get these people off here. (laughs) It is that bad. Thank you for those. I appreciate it. It's that bad. You see, some fruit is a little less desirable than others, and tonight's characteristic of the fruit of the spirit, I think, is many ways is that way. We we look at this, and because of our flawed understanding of what we assume it is, we think, yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I think I'll pass on that one. I don't need that in my life. And tonight, I just want to quickly, as quickly as I can, uh, talk to you about this the idea of meekness. This word meekness. I think we often have an inaccurate understanding of what meekness is. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But because of the way we interpret and understand the word meekness to mean in our culture today, many of us kind of think of it the way that the individual who wrote the graffiti on the wall said, The meek shall inherit the earth, dot, 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 if it's okay with you. Right? That, that's how we kind of think of meekness, right? We, we hear that word and we think sheepish, mousy, weak, effeminate, limp wristed, spineless. You know, that's kind of how we view this idea of meekness. And so tonight, quickly, I want to give you the definition of meekness. If you were to just look it up, a typical dictionary definition, it just simply means a mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, or humility. Biblically speaking, when you look in the Bible, meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit that accepts his dealings with us as good, and therefore, without disputing or resisting. Right? We, we see what the Lord has done for us, and we accept his dealings in our life as good. We don't resist. We don't dispute. We understand who God is, and we accept his dealings with us. In other words, it's a submission to his authority. We recognize him for who he is, and so we submit ourselves to his authority. We submit ourselves to his power. In the Old Testament, you'll see that the meek were those that were relying on God rather than their own strength, for justification, for vindication, to defend against injustice, right? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And so thus meekness towards evil people is knowing that God is allowing their injuries, God is permitting their injuries that they inflict so that he might use them to purify his people, right? It's that mindset, that attitude of Job that said, when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold, like, Whenever you realize that the best I know how, I'm right with God, I'm in the will of God, I'm trying to be filled with the Spirit of God, and so whatever is coming into my life right now, even though it may be unwanted, even though it may be uncomfortable, whatever it is, I have to believe that this is what God has for me. the best I know, I'm not out of the will of God. I'm not being chastised for some sin in my life. I believe I'm right where God wants me. And so whatever comes my way, I accept it as this is God's doing. And God has something in this for me to learn. God has something through this difficulty, through this problem in my life, that I can grow from because God is using this to purify me and and mature me in my faith. Meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness or self-interest. It stems from a trust in God's goodness and a trust in his control over the situation. In other words, it's a matter of putting the, the, the who above the what. Right? It, it, I don't need to know the what. It doesn't matter what the what is in my life, what's going on, what they said, what they did to me, why they're doing it, what's going on, as long as I know who. Right? As long as I know the who, I don't care about the what. I know God. I know that God is good. I know that God is faithful. I know that God loves me. And so the whatever that's going on in my circumstances isn't going to rattle me. It isn't going to shake me because I know God. I know the who, so I don't need to always know the what. And so uh, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness. The meek person isn't occupied with self at all. That's why we can see that this is obviously a work of the Holy Spirit, not the human will right? By nature, we are all selfish individuals, right? We, we live in the selfie society, right? That is just, we are consumed with self, right? I've said it this way before, that, you know, that children, you can see it in children. Children are like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. So mine, 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 mine. But we don't outgrow that, but by the grace of God. We are all naturally selfish individuals. And so a meek person is not occupied with self at all. And so like humility, it's It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Andrew Murray, a great devotional writer, said it this way. He said, The meek man feels no jealousy or envy. He can praise God when others are preferred and blessed before him. He can handle hearing others praise while he is forgotten because he has received the Spirit of Jesus, who pleased not himself, who sought not his own honor. Therefore, in putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put on the heart of compassion, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, and humility. So I so said the meek person is not occupied with self. You understand, selfishness isn't just the I can, it's also the I can't, right? And so there's, it's just as selfish or, I mean, just as arrogant to say I can't as it is to say I can right? We, we think of the, the arrogant person, oh, I can do this, I can do that, I can do this. Well, it's just really as much, much arrogance and self-centeredness when we're always saying I can't. If God wants you to do it, you can do it. I could never. And man, I could never teach a class. I could never be a soul winner. I could never do this. I could never do that. I could never work the bus ministry. No, if God's telling you, you can do it. If God tells you he wants you to do it, you can do it. And so meekness, it's not thinking of self at all. It's not I can. It's not I can't. It it doesn't involve me at all. It's not about me at all. Now, I love this. The the word that Paul chose to use here when he wrote uh, what what he used for meekness it was actually a word that the Greeks used to describe a horse that had been broken. Now, no one would dare treat a horse as weak, right? And so Paul, when he uses the word meekness, he used a word, a term that his readers would have understood. And they would have associated with a horse that had been broken. And so nobody in their right mind would treat a horse as if it's weak. I mentioned in Sunday school, you know, we had went, uh, horseback riding one uh, time for a couple's retreat. And so uh, I don't know if you can tell... The, by the everything about me that I'm not a cowboy and so I when we went on this retreat this was the first time that I had rode a horse that wasn't coin operated or wasn't like connected to a wheel that just went in circles and so this this was a first for me but I'm also a very competitive person and so you know I was just like all right let's do this and so I remember I get on that horse and we're headed down a little trail and there's like 50 of us so it was kind of whatever you know nothing I'll ever want to do again so you go down this trail and you stop and you wait for everybody else who's wandering through the woods and can't get control of their horse because they don't know what they're doing either. And you know, I mentioned Sunday school, the lady's like, just show it who's boss. And the problem is it knows who's boss, right? And it ain't me. And so I get up there and I'm, I'm just like, you know, if I'm, whatever I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do, I'm, I'm gonna be first. So I'm up there and I'm actually the second horse in line and waiting on everybody else to catch up. And my horse is like inching forward to the other horses up there and I'm trying my best to keep it back. But whatever you know I, I don't know what I'm doing and so the horse just keeps getting closer and closer finally my horse bites the horse that's in front of me to which that horse now kicks at my horse my horse it kicks my horse my horse raises up like I'm holding on for dear life it finally lands down I realized when that when that horse in front of me kicked my horse it was like that far from my leg I was like that far from my leg turning into dust I mean just poof just okay I guess I don't have a leg anymore I mean and things are massive, uh, just huge masses of muscle. I mean, just nobody would look at a horse like that and think weak. And yet here Paul says, the word that he used to describe meekness is that of a horse that has been broken. You see, so a horse that's been broken, it's not weak. It's power under control. It's power under control. Meekness, I think that's the way we need to think about it tonight. It's power under God's control. It's power humbly submitted to God. It's like, like the horse, it's strength that has been harnessed for service. Strength that has been harnessed for service. Meekness is having enough strength to pick your battles, right? Not everything in your life d- 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 needs a response. Not everything in your life should be answered, should be dealt with. Not, not everything not, that comes into your life that you don't like, that you don't agree with, needs to be fought. Not everything is a hill to die on. And meekness is having enough strength to choose your battles, I've said it this way before, that everybody knows a bulldog can whoop a skunk, but it's not worth it, right? It's just, it's not worth it. And meekness is having that power, that strength under control to determine when and how and what, should, what you should do and to be able to pick your battles. A great, great example of this is, many of you, many of you know uh, Shaq, right? He, uh, all the stories that he wants me to tell could all just be told of Shaq. I mean, he, he's provided enough of those. And so... Uh, there was a time in the youth group where one of the things that was kind of going on, we were doing a lot. Uh, my brother Jim—I believe this is probably his fault. He, would, he drove for an activity for us to an amusement park one time, and we, me and him, were doing this back and forth at the amusement park. Almost got ourselves kicked out, but we would, you know, walk up and like one of us would push the other and say something really loud, you know, to cause a a, a scene, and then we would turn our back to the crowd and do this, and then the other one would be like, "What?" and then, slap our hand and you know it would really make you know make the good sound sound like you got slapped and we'd play it off and act like we got hit like that and uh, so we almost got King's Dominion whatever it was you almost got kicked out of King's Dominion for that and so we were just doing that a lot anytime we'd go somewhere some of the teens would do it we'd be messing around like that well we was over here in the gym and uh Shaq did that to me he came up and he pushed me like that and said something you know we were cleaning up he's like I'm tired of you telling me what to do and he pushed me he turned around like that to everybody and I slapped his hand at the time, we were bringing in on the teen van, we had this guy, uh, he was a big, big boy, but he, he, he was a little slow, he had a mental disability, and you know we'd bring him, he's great, he loved being here, we loved having him, but he didn't make the connection, and so he just thought, you know, we did that, and then we're kind of yucking up laughing about it, and he just thought, oh, it's fun to slap Shaq. So <laughs> he come running, and he reared back, and man, he slapped open-handed, slapped Shaq right across his face, and I remember, I mean, he's a big boy, too, and I remember I just I just wrapped around Shaq immediately. I just grabbed him because I just I just thought the worst was about to happen, and I'm just holding him and I was like, it's okay. So okay. he's like, Brother Gary, did he just slap my face? I'm like, yeah, yes, Shaq, yeah, yes he did. I was like, it's okay, you got got to let go. He's like, I'm good, I'm good. And I remember I let him go and he was he just went the other way and I'm just like, in that moment, no. I mean, you guys, you know, you know Shaq. He's he's a big guy himself and could have done much harm if he wanted to. And at that moment, he exercised some great meekness, some great power under control, uh, some power yielded to God's control. Someone said it this way, you think meek is weak, try being meek for a week. It's not as easy to live the spirit-filled life as people want to make it out to be. It's something that only God can do in us, and meekness most certainly is not weakness. It takes great strength. But we have to remember it's the fruit of the Spirit, he lists for us the works of the flesh. This isn't something that we can do. It's not. It's not of I think I can. I think I can. It's not you just trying harder to be better. No, it's something that God works from the inside out. And there's only two people in the whole Bible who are referred to as meek. In the Old Testament, you have Moses, and in the New Testament, you have Jesus. Neither of which we would refer to as being weak individuals. Right? God had to take Moses to the backside of the desert and teach him some meekness. He was the guy that he saw an Egyptian beating an Israelite, and he murdered him. Okay? That, that's not exactly a weak individual. Uh, Jesus, uh, obviously nobody referred to him as weak. He displayed meekness when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a war horse. As he sat there, as they, as they beat him, as they mocked him, as they scourged him, as Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Oh, we had the power, we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. But because of his meekness, that power was submitted to the will, to the authority, to the plan, the purpose of the Father. Meek. Yet he was also meek when he made a whip and he went into the temple and cleansed the temple and tipped over the money changers' tables and drove them out. You see, Jesus was meek in both examples. A meek person is one who can become angry at the right time, but never at the wrong time. Never in a fit of outrageous temper, can be mad, become angry at the right thing for the right reasons. And we see that displayed perfectly in Jesus. Meekness always keeps the expression of anger headed in the right direction. One philosopher and scholar, William Barclay, says, that the best illustration of meekness is the watchdog who is bravely hostile to strangers and yet gentle and friendly with familiars whom he knows and loves. See, the definition of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power humbly submitted to God. It's power under control. It's strength harnessed for service. But secondly, not just the definition of meekness. Let's look quickly at the development of meekness. How do we develop meekness in our own life? Well, short answer, be filled with the Spirit, right? As a fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, the Bible says you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, we're praying, asking God to fill me with the Spirit, you say, well, when should I pray and ask God to fill me with the Spirit? Whenever you feel like you're not. We need to constantly be filled with God's Spirit. It's the command of God that we need to constantly, day by day, moment by moment, be controlled and yielded to the Spirit of God. But practically speaking, what are some things I can do to try to help develop meekness in my life? If you say, you know, Brother Gary, the best, I'm trying, I'm trying to live a spiritual life, but yeah, that, that's something I do, man, I, I, I struggle with. I continue to uh, run into issues with that. What are some things I can practically do to try to develop meekness? I think one thing we can do is to start trying to do the things that God says takes meekness or that we are supposed to do in meekness. Like, for example, if you wanted to become a tightrope walker, you wouldn't just jump out on a tightrope someday or stretch out between skyscrapers. You would say, OK, tightroping requires balance. So I'm going to start working on my balance. I'm going to start doing some things to strengthen and work on balance in my life because I'll know I'll need that. I think the same principle can be said then of meekness. What are some things that God says that require meekness or that we are supposed to do in meekness? Well, the first one is simply this. We need to submit to the will of God. Speaking of Jesus, what does the Bible say? It says, I came to do the will of him who sent me. It said, I do always those things that please the Father. He said, not my will, but thine be done. See, if we can't be submissive to the will of God, we're going to have trouble being gentle to other people because we're going to be under our own control. And if you ever wonder what that's like, look up a few verses and read through the works of the flesh. It's not a pretty picture. And so until we get this idea of understanding the authority of God in my life and me being willing to surrender and submit and place myself under the authority of God, for every decision of my life, you're going to struggle with this idea of meekness. You've got to learn to submit and yield to the will of God. See, that's where it all starts. Someone said it this way. Don't pray for a helping hand if you're not using the one at the, at the end of your arm. And so... That's where it starts, right? It's not some magic switch you're going to be able to flip to become a meek person. No, you need to start submitting yourself to the will of God. Secondly, be teachable. Be teachable. In James chapter number one and verse number 21, it says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. The Bible says we are to receive the Bible, receive the word of God with meekness. And we need to make sure that we remain teachable. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus, when describing himself as weak, Jesus said, "Learn of me." He said, "I am meek and lowly of heart. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me." We need to be teachable. We must be willing to learn, willing to grow. So many Christians that are just happy with where they are, right? We're just we're stubborn. We're we're content. I know so many people, man. I, Sometimes I can see this in my own life where maybe you have some stuff in your past that I man, you're just so glad that God has delivered you and brought you from, that it's so easy to just be glad you're not there and you just get content and you just stop growing. When God has so much more that He wants for your life, but all you can think about is, man, I'm just glad I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not glad I'm glad I'm not living over there anymore. I'm not participating in that anymore. Man, I'm in church on a Sunday night. I'm doing much better, but God has so much more for you. And we need to make sure that we remain teachable. God wants us to grow. God wants us to mature in our faith. So many Christians are glad they're just not going to hell. They're glad they're not as bad as they used to be, and they're just stagnant. I believe it was Jack Hiles, you say, Every man is my teacher. Right? We need to maintain that kind of philosophy. There's always, you know, I've never got to get so high and lofty that somebody can't teach me something. And no, we need to remain with a humble spirit, remain teachable. Too many people don't have teachable spirits. They're stuck. They're willing to learn the hard way. I heard the story. I may have told you before. I heard the story of a school. They're having a problem with the uh, in the junior high girls always going in the bathroom and leaving lipstick imprints on the mirror in the bathroom. And so they made an announcement, tried to get them, you gotta stop doing this, you gotta stop doing this. And they just kept, it kept happening. So finally, they brought all the uh, junior high girls into the bathroom and brought the janitor in there and said, Look, you, we've been trying to tell you to stop, but we really want you to see the kind of a work that you're creating for our janitor all the time to have to clean this up. And so the janitor took his little squeegee, he sloshed it around real good in the toilet water and began to clean the mirror. I mean, that was the last time that that ever happened, right? Sometimes people, they only learn the hard way. And God says, no, we need to remain a, t- keep a teachable spirit. So submit to the will of God, be teachable. Uh, number three is consider, uh, have a consideration for others. A consideration for others. In Ephesians chapter number four, uh, verses one and two, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness with longsuffering forbearing one another in love. God tells us to forbear one another in love. That word forbear just simply means to hold up or bear with or endure, right? God is saying it takes meekness sometimes to put up with people in love, right? We're all made of the same stuff, right? We understand there's some people that you just naturally click with. There's some people that you just naturally get along with them. And then there's other people, right? And then there's those others, But God is saying that we need to forbear one another. We need to, in love, be willing to put up with people. Right? You're in a church family. You're going to rub. There's going to be people that rub you the wrong way. There's going to be times where you butt heads with somebody. And God is saying that in all meekness we are to hold up. We are to endure, bear with one another in love. So a consideration of others helps us in our meekness. Uh, Number four, helping a struggling brother or sister in Galatians chapter number uh, six. Went the wrong way. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need to make sure that we're looking out for one another. Yeah, you know, Pastor mentioned this morning about texting and calling and things like that. And that ought to be something that every one of us takes upon ourselves. Right, I, lo- I love the phrase every member a minister. We're all taking a part in, the, in this ministry. It's not just up to the pastor, to the staff, to notice when people are gone. Look, Baptist people are creatures of habit. I guarantee, I'm guarantee. i just in here this one Sunday, but I guarantee you that's where you always sit. You're always there. That's your spot. When somebody comes in, you're, you, walk, you come in and somebody's in your spot, you get miffed. You know, you're just like, what are they doing in my spot? Don't they know that's my spot? We're creatures of habit. you got to take it upon yourself to look around and say, man, who, who's normally in my section that's not here tonight? You know, who, who's normally who's normally in Sunday school and they weren't here this morning? And reach out to them and look after people. Help a struggling brother or sister. It shouldn't just be the staff that's sending letters and sending texts to those that are missing. We need to help bear the load. Yes, you have the power to look at somebody when they're in a mess and say, "You know what? You made your bed, now lie in it. You reap what you sow." But the meek person is going to have power harnessed for service. We're going to look at that person and go to them, as the Bible says, and help them uh, overcome, uh, help them be, brethren, if a man be overtaken, to fault, you which are spiritual, restore such in one in the uh, spirit of meekness. We're going to go to them and try to restore them. The, the attitude is not of condemnation. Hey, where you at? Backslid and bum, where you been? No, we're, hey, man, you noticed you weren't there this morning. We missed you, is everything okay? Right, it's always with the goal of restoration. We're trying to care for people and lift people up. Not trying to tear people down. And as we practice that and try to make that a habit in our life, you'll notice it's going to help you in this area of meekness. Uh, next, extending forgiveness. Extending forgiveness. In Colossians uh, chapter number three, Colossians chapter number three, verse number 12. Colossians three, verse number 12. Thou says, put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This idea of forgiveness. As we practice the model that God has given us of forgiveness, it'll help us grow in this area of meekness. If we're going to be able to forgive people, we need to do it in a spirit of meekness. We're, We're Giving up when you forgive, you're giving up your right to be angry, you're giving up your right to your claim to retribution, and it helps us realize that, you know what, we're all just sinners. We are all just sinners in need of God's forgiveness. Anybody else, any other parents in here ever get convicted whenever you're rebuking your children? Doesn't that stink? That is the worst. And just in there, and I, I, I've, don't judge me, don't, I'll leave, don't judge me, I'm just. I'm leaving anyway. I, I, I've been rebuking my kids and they say things like this. You know what? They're, they're trying to apologize. I'm like, look, I don't care. This is, I've told you like a hundred times. Well, Dad, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear sorry. I want to see something change. I'm sick of just hearing sorry all the time. And right in the middle of that, it's just like God saying, how many times have you done such and such? How many times have you come to an altar and said, yeah, I'll never do that again, God. I'm so sorry. Man, that, that's rough, right? You, you got to try to swallow that in while God's dealing with you whenever we learn to extend forgiveness, it helps us remember that we're all just sinners in needs of God's forgiveness. I like how someone said this way, the axe cannot boast of the trees that is cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, he used it. The moment he throws it aside, it becomes only old iron. You know, we can't become proud in our ability or our willingness to forgive somebody. We wouldn't even know what forgiveness was if it wasn't for God's forgiveness to us. And then lastly, Another thing practically we can do to help us in this area of meekness is to be bold in our soul-winning, to be bold in our soul-winning. The Bible says in Second uh, Timothy chapter number two, in verse number 24, it says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth." You know, the Bible says also in 1 Peter chapter number 3 that we ought to be willing or uh, we ought to be ready to give an answer of the faith that's in us and meekness. You know, There's going to be times where God puts someone in your path that he wants you to witness to. And we need to be bold in our witness, be bold as a soul winner. And as we do, as we are willing to get out of our comfort zone and go to where the people are and we see them and see what's going on, see what sin has done to their lives just as it did for Jesus, right? The Bible says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And a lot of times we're not moved with compassion because we don't get out and see the multitudes. We need to get out there, gotta work a bus route, go knock doors and see the multitudes. And when you see the multitudes in their sin, God will give you the compassion that is necessary. And the Bible says we need to, in meekness, instruct them, in meekness, give them the gospel. And tell you, when we do, it helps us realize we didn't do anything to deserve to be saved, We haven't done anything since the day I got saved to deserve to stay saved. It is all of God's grace. It allows us to not get angry or frustrated when people reject the gospel, but rather be sorrowful because, as the Bible says, they oppose themselves, not you. Right? It it freezes us up to be able to be bold in our witness. And If somebody rejects the gospel, somebody gets mad at you, somebody slams the door in your face, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, they're opposing themselves, the Bible says. And when we see them in that state, it just helps us to grow in compassion, helps us to become a meek individual. Knowing the truth, but humbly instructing them with the hope that God's going to turn the light on for them. There was um, a young man in, our, in this town years ago uh, that... I remember we'd see him around town. He was all tattooed up and pierced up, all his face and everything. He had dropped out of high school, but he had popped in a couple different times at some different teen events. I remember he came to uh, our first teen spectacular that we did. and uh, But I remember uh, his name was Josh, Josh Sparks. And I remember... I didn't know where this guy lived, nothing like that. I'd met him a few times, tried to talk to him, and he didn't want nothing to do with church or anything like that. And I remember I was just out soul winning one time, and I was knocking on doors, and sure enough, opened the door, and Josh Sparks is standing there. He comes out, he had his shirt off, he's all tatted up. He comes and sits down on the porch, I'm trying to talk to him. He's just staring at the ground, flipping with a lighter in his hand, hardly paying me any mind. I'm trying to talk to him, trying to talk to him, he don't want to hear nothing of it. And I remember just kind of in just desperation, but I just looked at him and said, man, are you happy? And he just stopped for a second. He looked right up at me. And I'll never forget, I can still see the look on his face. It was just so discouraged. It was just heartening. He looked up at me and he goes, he said, man, I am never happy. And you know, a lot of times we look at people like that and we think, oh, you know, let them, let them rot. You know, they, they made their choice. They're just rebellious. They don't want nothing to do with God. The Bible says they oppose themselves. And you and I need to be bold in our soul winning. And God says that we are to do this. If we're going to be that way, it takes a spirit of meekness. Understanding, yeah, God, what God has done for me, it's not nothing that I have done. It's not because I'm special. God blesses me in spite of me, not because of me. I promise you that. And when we can get our eyes off of ourselves and with a spirit of humility, a spirit of meekness, see the people that God has out there all over Roanoke Rapids that are opposing themselves. And apart from hearing the gospel and God working in their heart, they're headed to a Christless eternity. But we've got to get out there. It was when Jesus saw the people, he was moved with compassion. Let me ask you this. I don't know if I've said this before in being here. because it's something I, I try to keep this before me on a, on a regular basis, keep this thought. It's to help me in my own prayer life. But if God was to answer every one of your prayers over the last seven days, this past, last seven days, past week, if God was to answer every one of your prayers, every one of them over the last seven days, how many people would be saved? Or... Would you just be happier, healthier, and wealthier? How many people would be saved? We need to be bold in our soul, winning. we need to be bold in our witness. And it's going to take getting out there and seeing it for God to increase our compassion, to increase our meekness. Meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's humbly submitting my power to an all-powerful God. It's trusting that what he does is right and good. It's taking Christ's yoke upon me, power harnessed for service, so that God can use me for his glory. So I want to ask you tonight quickly, are you a meek person? And I know that's kind of a hard question for you to answer about yourself, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm humble. But let me ask you this way. Are you, do you desire to be a, a meek person? Or do you look at that like some smelly, nasty, dirty, and say, yeah, I don't really want that. that that's not for me. You know, I'm, I'm good with the faith. I'm good with the, uh, with the love, the joy. Man, I need some peace for sure, but ah, I don't really care about meekness. Is that something you desire for your life? Let me ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit of God? If you're filled with the Spirit, this is going to be evident in your life. And if it's not evident in your life, well, then it's just evidence that you're not filled with the Spirit. And so then what are you doing to cultivate it? What are you doing, practically speaking, to cultivate meekness in your life? Are you bold in your witness? Are you extending forgiveness? Are you trying to help a struggling brother or sister? Are you being, showing consideration of others? Are you being teachable? Are you willing to submit your will to the will of the Father? God calls us to be meek. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the way that Jesus lived, and it's the way that God wants for all of us as Christians to live our lives.